This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Welcome to the Craft and Character Podcast. Steve Carter here, and in association with my good friends at CDF Capital, I'm thrilled that you're tuning in. Today, we are privileged to learn from Dr. Derwin L. Gray. He is the founding and lead pastor of Transformation Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, mission-shaped community located in both North Carolina and South Carolina. He's an author He's a tremendous communicator and preacher and pastor. He's a former football player, was a safety for the Carolina Panthers and the Indianapolis Colts. Um, But truth be told, this guy's the real deal. Uh, He recently released a bestseller called The Good Life, and he did a series at his church based on the book. And there was one teach that I want you to get a sense of his sound, his unique, God-given preaching ability, and it's from the, the, the sermon, Happy Are the Merciful. So listen to this, and then we'll chop it up about Derwin's craft and his character. Jesus finishes with this. This is pretty dope. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert says this, the one who showed mercy to him, he said, Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. So right now, go and do the same. Go and do the same. Please stop arguing with people about politics. Haven't you figured out we're being used? Man, communicate the gospel. Talk about Jesus's glory and his beauty. For out of the overflow of our hearts will come out of our mouth. Go and do the same. 1 John 4, 8 through 10. God's love was revealed among us this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Being merciful is living. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Somehow, someway, supernaturally, the Spirit of God awakens us to respond and say yes or no to this greatest offer that God, who is merciful, sent his Son, that, that you and I as sinners were separated. Literally, you understand this? This is, this is serious business here. You and I are enemies, Romans 5, 9, and 10. We are literally enemies of God. Like, like there is no team Jesus, and I'm kind of in the middle. There's team light, there's team darkness, right? Like, there is no middle ground. People go, well, Derwin, that's exclusive. Well, I didn't make it up, Jesus said. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He walked on water. He's risen me from the dead. I believe what he's saying. The question is this, do you believe what he's saying? Now, watch this. We were bloodied and beaten, so what did Jesus do? As an atoning sacrifice, he stooped down to us and lifted us on the cross with him and said, I feel your pain. I'm going to assume your sin, but know this, 
Three days later, I'm bringing you out of the tomb with me so that we might live through him, not only the forgiveness of sins, but a new life, a new hope, a new power. Merciful people are happy people. And I'll say this is true. Merciful people are the people that change the world. You're going, Durham, but I can't change the world. Have you ever seen a rock when it gets thrown into the water, the ripple effects? You never know what one life may change. Yesterday, I'm at a Transformation Church wedding, and it was so cool not to have to do it. I just sat there and enjoyed, and I seen all these kids that I've known since they were 10, 11 years old, and they're toasting the bride and the groom who are 19, and I'm listening to like 19 and 18-year-olds say deep and profound godly things, and I'm looking at Pastor Joshua, I'm, I'm looking at KJ, I'm talking to my wife, and I'm going, look at this discipleship. This is amazing. These are like little kids doing big people stuff, saying big people things. And I'm having this moment, and as we're driving home, I looked at my wife, and I was like, man, what if we didn't start Transformation Church? And then the other thought was, I wonder if Karen Ponish, the woman who led my wife to the Lord at work at Blackburn Health Center in Indianapolis, knew that her little pebble into the lake would turn into this. So never underestimate what God can do with your little pebble. Well, I'm so excited to have Pastor Derwin Gray here on the Crafting Character Podcast. And as you just heard, you can hear his dynamic passion, his love for God's Word as he uh, unpacked a, 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 the, in this series called The Good Life. And in this message, Happy are the Merciful. Derwin, uh, welcome to the podcast. And I, I'd love to hear just right from the get-go about the Good Life series and especially about what you were hoping to accomplish in this teach, Happy are the Merciful. Yeah, so the the Good Life series uh, was birthed out of way back in 2014. I was uh, mentoring, discipling, reaching people who are yet to discover Christ. And regardless of who they were, ethnic background, gender, people were looking for happiness. And I thought, well, what does Jesus say about happiness? And hiding in plain sight in the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher to ever preach was Jesus and the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 3 through 12. And Jesus describes eight characteristic characteristics of a blessed or happy person. The Greek word for blessed is makros, and it literally means happy. And so Jesus is, is saying, here is how I've created humanity to be happy, but that happiness leads to holiness. And so we were searching after happiness that was based on circumstances. It was based on what I get. It was based on the moment. And Jesus is saying, I want to teach you about a happiness that's greater than just good things happening to you. It's about me actually making you good. And so the Good Life Sermon series coincided with the launch of my book, The Good Life. And we wanted to just immerse our congregation in the Beatitudes. We wanted them for eight weeks just to come in contact with Jesus and what he says 
about happiness because in Christianity, there's like, well, no, God doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to have joy. And I used to say that too. But the problem is the Hebrew and Greek words for joy and happiness basically mean the same thing. God's kind of happiness is holiness. And John Wesley, uh, I'm going to mess up his quote here, but I'm going to paraphrase. He, in essence, said, a man that is happy in God is holy. And so uh, holiness and happiness go side by side because the happier we can be in God, the more we fulfill who we, we have been called to be. And so in the sermon, Happier the Merciful, um, I was teaching on Jesus sharing the story of the Good Samaritan in the context of Jesus being asked by a Jewish expert in the law, what are the most important commandments? Jesus says, love God, love your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then the religious scholar says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes and tells this incredible story. So if we ever want to know what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, it looks like the good Samaritan. And so let me pause there because it's so important. We're 2,000 years away from that moment. But in the ancient days of Jesus, Samaritans and Jews had a vicious, violent, ethnic blood feud. And so saying a good Samaritan would be like telling a Jewish person, let me tell you a story about the good Nazi. It was was just so out of the box. And so Jesus is teaching us how to love and participate in God's love. And so the idea of that sermon was to get people to see the scandalous nature of God's love. But in that scandal, there's the scandal of happiness because our hearts were not built for bitterness. They were not built for hate. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. It's not so much for your enemy. It's it's for you because that's toxic to our souls. So the idea was to immerse people in this idea of God's supernatural love that even moves you to the place that you allow your enemies to sit at your table and eat. That's so good. You know, What's so amazing is, you know, like you said, the, the the idea of Samaritan was a derogatory term, but today, because of Jesus, it's become synonymous with good. And that's just the power of what Christ can do. And you, you are just uh, so fascinating to me because you have just this depth of wisdom. You know, you're dropping in Greek, you're dropping in context, you've got just passion and application. And I mean, I just, I I walk away always from your teaching, thinking about the power of the cross, the power of grace, but it's not just disconnected from the text. You do this amazing, amazing job of just almost like grounding each message in the cross and resurrection. Where did you learn that? Because I think there are a lot of teachers like, yeah, I, I, I teach the cross once a month, but I feel like every teach, you I mean, you find a way to not force it in. It's almost like it's like a, it's like, sometimes I wonder, do you start your talks going, here's the story of the gospel and here's how it fits in context with the, the good Samaritan story and here's how I'm going to share it. Like, I just, I, I've always been amazed at how you architect your talks because it's, the good news is so present in it, and I so respect you for that. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Um, 
Well, that's an answer to prayer because that's my hope and prayer. The first thing that I would say is um, Jesus is the hermeneutical key that unlocks the meaning of Scripture. Wow. And what I mean by that is this. In John chapter 5, verses 39 through 40, Jesus is in a confrontation with the Pharisees, and he tells them, you search the Scriptures daily because you think in them you have eternal life, but the scriptures testify to me. Yes. There's a difference between teaching biblical knowledge and teaching the biblical purpose, which is the knowledge of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And so I want to pattern my preaching after the apostles Whenever the apostles open their mouths about Jesus, open their mouths about the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus was central. It was paramount. And so it's not this, well, life, death, resurrection. No, it's it's Jesus' ultimate reality. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so if Jesus is not the hero of the sermon then we have not preached a Christian sermon. We've actually preached something other. It's either to motivate the flesh or it's superstition or it's prosperity nonsense. Every sermon, people should leave going, oh my gosh, I never knew Jesus was that great. Let me, let me, let me tell you what he's done for me. So often as pastors, we want people to, to obey, but obedience flows out of the redemptive work of, of Christ. Like you're not going to obey someone you don't love, someone you don't like. And so um, I believe in a Christocentric form of preaching that he's the hermeneutical key that opens up everything. Like, you know, like for example, when you look at the holies of holies for Yom Kippur, which our Jewish friends will be celebrating here soon. Like Jesus literally is the new temple. Jesus is the holies of holies. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the scapegoat. Jesus is the unblemished lamb. Jesus is the mercy seat. You know, Jesus is the sum total of it all. And our job as communicators is to join the Holy Spirit in proclaiming his work of what he's done. That's where the transformative power comes from. So uh, thank you for uh, affirming that the Lord is working in me because that's my goal. Well, and, and you do it so naturally. That's that's the gift. And I, I think even just hearing you talk right now, I can see at times where as the teacher in me, I get so excited about the context. I get so excited about like setting the stage. You know, even as you talk about the Greek word for blessed and, and you're, you're breaking that whole thing down. But so often many communicators can stop right there and make an application point and miss Jesus and miss the invitation and miss the deeper truth. And, and do you ever, when you're writing your talks, go, oh, I got to push this farther or I got to eliminate because this is too much good content and it, if I go down that route, it's going to be hard to, to tie it into the person I'm really trying to point it to or the hero I'm tr- really trying to point people to. Or is it just become second nature to you now after been preaching and pastoring for so many years? No, it, it is uh, preaching, preaching and teaching for me 
is not so much a weekend thing. It's what I live from. It's the overflow of my own life. Yes. And I believe the best salesman is a satisfied customer. And so uh, preaching and teaching is like 1% of my life, but that which I preach and teach, I want to live out of it myself. So I won't be an imposter. And um, man, um, you know, the, the idea like even me talking to you right now, Steve, you know this about me. I grew up as a compulsive stutterer. The notion that I would be a preacher, a teacher, the, the idea that anybody would be asking me about crafting a sermon would be ludicrous when I look back at my life. But the life, the death, the resurrection, Christ in me in my weakness, he's made strong. And so uh, there is an autobiographical nature in which we treat, uh, uh, preach within the context of the text. And what I would say to preachers is, is, is this, we live in a day and age where we need to be more theological, more Christocentric, more communicating the Holy Spirit, not less. Uh, people need to be grounded more. And I trust the Holy Spirit that I want him to challenge me every single week. Because for me, preaching is not the funnest part of preaching. It's the studying throughout the week because God meets me in dynamic and beautiful ways. And so I want to encourage teachers and preachers, make sure that you're soaking yourself in really, really good theology. You know, things that are going to challenge you uh, because we don't need an ignorant church. We don't need a hype-filled church. We don't need a pragmatic church. We need a church that adores Jesus, but a Jesus who's merely used to get what I want is not a Jesus that you can adore. Wow. Wow. Okay. I, you talked about preparation and you know one of the things that we've always connected on has been our love for sports. Uh, you know, you were a great college uh, athlete. I was a, I mean, I sat the bench. Um, but we both had to go through, you know, preparation, preparation for our opponent. And when I hear you talking about prepping for a teach in that you love preparation, was that the same when you were at BYU, strong safety? Were you like, did you love preparing for an opponent um, more than the game? Or has that been a total shift? Because I actually loved I loved like scouting. I loved breaking down tape. I loved like learning how we were going to expose some mismatch. What was that like for you as a football player? And how is it similar yet different to today as a preacher? Yeah. Um, what I would say is one of the blessings of football is you understand this is that your game is actually not played on Friday in high school, Saturday in college or Sunday, like I did in the NFL your game is actually played throughout the week at practice. Yes. I wanted to practice so hard and be prepared that the game would be easy. And most guys want to get to the game, but the game isn't going to be worth it if we don't put the worth into practice. And so now, you know, prepar preparation for me uh, begins with prayer. Like, like, I mean, you got to soak, like you got to pray, like praying Praying is a posture of our soul toward God. You know, like our hearts are, are postured, but it's not just, Lord, give me a message. No, it's like, God, I want to be the message. Wow. 
It's good. Let me let me pause here because there's so many preachers who want to make a name for themselves preaching. That's not the goal. Jesus' name is the name that we want to see exalted. Yes. And 30 minutes on a stage should not be the most beautiful part of our walk with Jesus. Like, God, I want, I, I want you to fill me, not so I can simply preach a message so that I can be a message. Mm. Mm. And so, and so we, we start there and then like, we, we really have to exegete the text. Yeah. We, we really have to learn the tools. Like I'm a huge fan of theological education, but make sure that you're reading deep theology. And I just, you know, there's great preachers out there, but don't, don't repackage their leftovers. Like, like spend time with the Lord in the kitchen, go to the garden and, and pick the fruit, pick the vegetables, like take time to season it. Let, let the Lord work in you. But a lot of times we're so busy with Instagram and social media that we don't spend any time in prayer and there's no power on our messages. Like don't mistake big crowds for God's big power. They just like, might like the message because it's not challenging. <laughs> so good. So good. So you do. So, you, so let's, let's get this really practical. So if you got to preach, you know, uh, on, on the upcoming weekend, uh, when, when do you start, obviously you're praying throughout the week, but like when, when you start like prayerfully kind of getting your mind heart right for this talk is that, Hey, I spend the mornings Monday and Tuesday. What's, what's that look like? And then, and then the exegeting, what, what does that look like on, on a time frame? Yeah. So what I've learned so that I can steward the emotional health of my worship team and creative team is my series sermon series are done six to eight weeks in advance. Love it. So my 2021 calendar is already done. When I was on vacation in Montana, I put together the whole preaching calendar, right? And so what I do is I'm so preloaded ahead that when I get to it, it's not like a whole lot of work. And so I'm always working forward. And so like this week's outline that I'm going to preach has been done for like four months. Um, now, I'm usually not that far ahead, but I want to be that far ahead because what it does is it takes the anxiety off of my creative arts team. It takes the anxiety off of the worship team. It takes the anxiety off of me. Uh, but also, but then it gives me time to really soak in it, to really sit in it. So, okay, so so today's a Monday. All right, so the way this would work is Monday uh, I still got a adrenaline from Sunday, and so I have a few meetings, but I'm studying. Uh, I'm working on my book. Tuesday is all-day staff meet- meeting, and then that's when we roll out the sermon to our cr- creative arts team. Well, before I get there, the outline is already done. So Wednesday and Thursday, I'm really still tinkering with it. I'm I'm still in it. I'm still praying through it. I'm researching, but also... Um, you want to ask the Holy Spirit for moments of grace. And what I mean by moments of grace is, Lord, uh, may I be attuned and sensitive to the hearts and minds of people 
to be able to pivot, to be able to shift. And um, that comes with experience, but it also comes with trusting the Holy Spirit. Uh, Friday's my Sabbath, so I'm, I'm going through a line in the water. Saturday, I get up, I go to the coffee shop, I'm still praying, and I'm putting the finishing touches on, on it. That's so that's super helpful. And because I love I love learning um just people's different approaches. Um, you being you know, three, four months out, being able to like marinate on like the text and on the on the ideas, live into it. Um, you know, it changes because you'll you'll be it's almost like when you buy a car and you're like your eyes now are thinking, oh, there's another Toyota, you know. Tacoma, you know, you just start seeing it when you start thinking about bitterness or you start thinking about mercy and you're like, oh, there's a, that, that, that was merciful. That was merciful. It's just, it becomes top of mind and it shapes you and forms you. I love that. Okay. Here's the crazy piece. You're out so far ahead and you know, you, you mentioned you're writing your next book and on Twitter, I saw it's about prayer, which I'm excited about, but I want to, I want to spend a moment just talking about the good life. Because I was so excited about this book. I think it's a fantastic book. I think, you know, if, if you're listening and you haven't purchased it, buy it. It's actually a great sermon series. It's super, super deep and practical. The Good Life comes out in one of the most difficult times. And yet you you like almost supernaturally address some of these issues in the good life. And you were out so many months ahead because it usually is a year before the book ever even comes to 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 like Barnes and Noble or Amazon. And this this these words felt like for such a time as this, how like most times people go, you can't be that far out ahead because life's going to happen. But the good life proved you can be out that far ahead and it can be the exact word for such a time as this. Can you speak to that and what you've learned about that? <laughs> well, uh, brother, God is God. God will. Well, let me, let me, let me say this. As the book was getting ready to release, um, our publisher uh, was like, man, this is like the worst time to release a book. And we were all just like, man, okay. And so we prayed and I told the publisher, I said, God is going to use this book because it makes no sense <laughs> that this is not the time to launch a book called The Good Life, what Jesus teaches about finding true happiness in the midst of all of this chaos, uncertainty. And I just knew that God was going to move uh, because only he gets the credit. Right. Wow. So it is a it is a bestseller, but only God can get the credit. It's the title isn't how to make it through hard times. It's literally the good life. Right. In the fall of 2019, I wrote about in chapter five how the early church handled pandemics seven months before we experienced ours. In chapter eight, called Happy Are the Peacemakers, I open up with the story of Rodney King, who in 1992 experienced police brutality. Then I go on to talk about political division, ethnic division, that everybody's just angry. And there are some things prophetic that I had no idea about. So this is what I'll say. Um, and this is totally speculation. I just believe 
the more that we're intimate with Jesus, into me, intimacy is into me, you see, the Holy Spirit will guide us and direct us. So in all of 2020, I have not had to change one sermon to keep up with current events. I've not had to change one. Like every week, it's been right on point. And so um, God's grace is inviting us into that intimacy. He, he's inviting us into that story. And let me say this too. As preachers of the gospel, our job is not to fix people's problems. It's good. It's good. Our job is to proclaim the redemptive work of Jesus. Yes. Steve, listen to this. This is crazy. Since COVID, right? Since March 18th, we've been strictly online. We've grown from about 4,500 to 7,000. Wow. Wow. And now we have about 100,000 people that watch online. In the last two years, we've made 400,000 meals for hungry people. Like we are literally in the middle of revival. Man. And it starts with us flat on our face, not saying, Lord, what does the culture say we must do? No. Who is the Christ and what has he done and communicate that to the people? The overwhelming majority of our sermons should be on what Christ has done. There's a reason why, for example, Paul's letters, and we'll look at the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are zero commands. It's all about Christ. 22 different identities in Christ. Ephesians uh, 4 through 6, there's 39 commands, one every six verses. Why? Because who he is and what he's done is the power to be the people of God. And so often we're preaching behavior modification. And since I'm on here, in the last few weeks, I've talked to several Gen Zs who have pushed Christianity away. But when I talk to them, their Christianity is behavior modification. They've been taught, well, Jesus wants you to stop this. Jesus wants you to stop this. Don't do this. Don't, 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 don't. And they've never heard about Christ and what Christ has done. They never heard, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. You know, they've heard more about what I need to do. That's not Christianity. Yeah, that's so good. Well, you know, and I think one of the things I'm realizing, the more and more um, I'm given the privilege to preach and teach and pastor, is what you talked about when you said intimacy. Into me, you see. And I love that. And I think so often, you know, you've got pastors who are, who are leading, who are running, who are online, who are just busy and busy and going and going to orient your life to be that open to Christ to look in and see for the spirit of God to direct. I mean, I think if, 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 if pastors could hear that and make a, like a, a decision, like, you know what I'm going to do today from this point on, I want to be the kind of pastor and preacher whose life is wide open to the Holy Spirit wide open to Christ looking into me, wide open um, to me orienting my ears, my mind, my eyes, my heart for what Christ wants to do in and through. I, I mean, I think it would just be an absolute game changer for the preaching, for the congregation, for the biblical literacy. I just think it would be amazing. 
When did you come to that realization? Because I don't think very many preachers are doing that. I think it's three hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon. They put their outline into the, you know, to the to the marketing team to print out, and then they're delivering on the weekend. But this is a whole life opening up to the Spirit of God. You know what I would say, Pastor, is is this is number one. My primary identity is not being a pastor communicator. My number one identity is a beloved child of God. Yeah. That my identity and worth is not found in my preaching. It's found in my Christ. Um, two, I'm a disciple, which means I'm an apprentice of Jesus before I'm a preacher. I'm a child. I'm an apprentice. Then I'm a husband. Then I'm a father. Then I'm a pastor. And one of the things we say at Transformation Church is all of life is worship. And so we need more shepherds, not CEOs in the pulpit. Um, Unfortunately, majority culture evangelicalism really rewards the entrepreneur, businessman, CEO, pastor, you know, is, you know, he's building something. But are we building people or using people? Wow. And so I think a lot of, and I say this respectfully, but I think a lot of majority culture evangelicalism that gets celebrated is not the church of Jesus Christ. It's a business and Jesus and his gospel is a product. The congregation are the employees and you go out and invite your friends so that they can become satisfied customers and employees. It's like a spiritual Amway, uh, multi-marketing. Now, am I for systems and processes? Of course, we need that. But what I'm talking about is, do you see yourself as a shepherd, a CEO? Do you see yourself as a pastor or do you see yourself as a leader? Like, like, (laughs) The word leader in the New Testament is used three times. Three times, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not used uh, a lot. Disciples used 269 times. And so a leader can lead without being a disciple, but a disciple should always be a leader because you're leading out of being a student of Jesus. And so I'm I'm just not impressed with the uh businessification of the church because I think it's harmful, but it's also harmful for the soul of the pastor. And I think that's why people buy sermons and, you know, you copy sermons because you're so busy trying to be an entrepreneur instead of a shepherd. Um, Years ago, I was sharing with a pastor that I said, man, I, I have to go. I have to do pastoral counseling. And he goes, you still counsel people? And I was like, well, that's a part of being a pastor, isn't it? But it's almost like, well, no, you you move beyond that. And it's like, no, 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 no. I'm a shepherd of the people. We have a we have a counseling team, but I'm a part of that team. Yeah. Um, so I just really think we need to look at the New Testament for our blueprint instead of what we consider as successful in America. I think it's so solid and, and and important, and I love that you talked about it's not good for the soul. You know, this this podcast is called Craft and Character. We all obviously want to get better at the unique spiritual gift that 
that, that God has given to us in the craft of preaching and teaching, but we never want that to lead and outpace our character. And one of the things I, I love about you is just the high commitment. Um, you and your wife and your family have been kind of put on display about saying, hey, our, our character's got to lead the way. Our debt with Jesus as disciples has to lead the way. Talk about that. What does it look like practically for you um, on how you do that in a way that um, you are like this, just just remaining in Christ? Yeah. Uh, one is you walk in the spirit. Uh, Paul says in Romans 13, 14, uh, if you put on Christ, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So walking in the spirit, putting on Christ is an intentionality to think about the things of Christ. You know, I, I want my mind wallpapered with what Christ has done. When, when temptation comes, I don't go, oh, I'm not going to do it. When temptation comes, I go back to what Christ has done. I'm accepted. I'm not condemned. I am loved. I'm filled with the spirit. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so, so you want to put on Christ intentionally and walk in the spirit, but also you want your, your character so tethered to and flowing from the Holy Spirit's power that when you preach a sermon, your wife can go, yeah, that's honesty. That's, that's right. Versus your wife or your kids going, he doesn't do that stuff. And when there's a, a gap of who I am and I preach who I want to be, the wider that gap is, the deeper the fall is in between. And that's why you see people blow up is there's who I want to be versus who I am. And eventually you fall into that gap. So what we say at Transformation Church is this, your character should always be running ahead of your gifting. Yes. But if your gifting is running ahead of your character, you're about to run into a brick wall. And the thing is, is when you as a leader, as a pastor, run into a brick wall, lots of people get hurt. Right. Lots of people get hurt. And so it is vital that we are intimate with Christ, that we're not just reading the Bible for sermon material. Once again, the sermon is like less than 1% of your life. Instead of preparing for the message, be the message, and you already be prepared for the message. So good. We, you know, and, and you mentioned you mentioned this earlier. You know, on Fridays you're gonna go, you know, cast the line. You know, if I if I if I, I follow you on Twitter, and I feel like what I see is some really great sports takes, some incredible like verses or thoughts on scripture, and you with holding the biggest bass possible. Like, I feel like that's that. those are your three lanes on Twitter. Something profound, a hot take on sports, an unbelievable bass. But I, I can tell that that f- fishing is a time for you of just peace and calm. It's almost like, it's, it's almost a way for you to re- keep the remain thing the main thing. Talk about how you discover that. Because I remember when we were driving in Indianapolis and, and we're, on, we're on the highway and you're like, Oh, I used to fish there. I used to fish there. You just kept pointing out all these places. Oh, they got some good fish there. T- talk about what happens on those Friday mornings and why it's so important to have a hobby because so many pastors don't have hobbies. Yeah, yeah. You know, so years and years ago, I was asked by a Christian therapist to write a picture of the happiest time of my childhood. Hmm. So most people would say, well, it'd be a picture of you playing football but it was actually a picture of me and my grandmother fishing. 
And she would take me fishing and we would connect and it was peaceful and it was calm. It was beautiful. And so early in Transformation Church's history, I was talking about fishing and how much I loved it than I was actually fishing. Wow. And the Lord was like, okay, you need to do something about that. Like you need to have a hobby. And so I guard my Fridays. I'm like, Friday is Sabbath. And if not, I'll change it if, you know, if, if, if I, if I deem it, but Fridays are my day. And I just love to go out and fish. I go out by myself and I'm quiet and me and the fish just have a good time. And I'll think about my grandmother, but I'll also be in prayer. Uh, just, but not like structured prayer, just talking to the Lord and just processing, you know, exercise is important too. Um, you know, uh, because of my football days, I have a really bad back, so I can't run the way I used to. So I, I got an office, uh, I have a bike desk so I can ride that. I got some weights, you know, I, I do my thing, but having a hobby is, is important. And, and a lot of times, like what I tell young moms at Transformation Church is make sure you have a life outside of being a mom. Being a mom is not your identity. It's a, it's a function of who you're called to be, but who you are as a beloved child of God. Well, the same thing as pastors is we get so locked. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. No, no. You are a beloved child of God who's an apprentice of Jesus who happens to be a pastor. And Jesus already died for our sins. We don't have to. So making sure like the Sabbath is basically saying to the Lord, I trust you. You got this. Yeah. yeah. And a stressed out, tired preacher is no good at home. And it is a and is a moral failure waiting to happen because that's when the devil gets in there is when you are depleted of your energy and your strength. And I, and I think this is so important for any of you pastors who are listening to this is he budgets his time and to get some rods, to get some bait, to, to, to get that, it's going to cost some money too. So in our family budget, Pastor Derwin, we actually have like a budget for hobbies because hobbies that are actually going to fuel my spiritual like fervor for the Lord, which is going to actually come back to, to me being able to, I feel, feel like preach better, love my family better. Uh, just be a better disciple. So I love, love, love that example. Okay, a couple more things, and then I'm going to let you go. But one of my favorite memories being with you uh, was in Indianapolis, and we were doing an event together. And I remember like coming down the to the lobby of the hotel, and you were talking to some guy. And I, I didn't know who this guy was. Yeah, he was an older gentleman, probably 10 years older than you. And uh, 15, 20 years older than you. I, I couldn't tell. And, but, but you just said, Steve, I want to introduce you to this guy. This is the guy who mentored me. And I was like, what? And you talked about how this guy mentored you while you were in the NFL. And here he is many years later coming to see you in a lobby. I say that because the clip that we, sh you know, shared from your happier, the merciful teach was this one part in the teach where you start talking about your wife, Vicky, and the fact that what if someone said, did like basically said no to actually sharing the gospel? What my, like what might have not never came to be? This church might have never came to be, and just this like appreciation for where you've come from and like the cloud of witnesses. 
there's something so beautiful. Would you just spend a moment and speak to that, how powerful that is? Yeah, man. So uh, back in 1997, uh, I tore my knee up against the New England Patriots. By the way, I had a great game. And them suckers flipped <laughs> me in the back and I tore my MCL. Anyway, uh, a friend of mine, I was a brand new Christian. I'm talking like a few months in. And another friend of mine named Ray McElroy said, hey, man, I want to invite you to this Bible study. So my wife and I went to an inner city missionary Baptist church called Blessed Hope Baptist Church. And so my knee is on the chair ahead of me. I'm in a cast. And this guy named Alan Bacon is teaching on Acts chapter 5. And he was just handling the text and the Holy Spirit was moving and I could understand. I'm like, man, God killed Ananias and Sapphira. And he described God as the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is true in my mind. And I'm going, man, I want to teach the Bible like that. Anyway, I met Alan. And after that time, he said, uh, anytime you have a question, call me. I thought anytime meant anytime. <laughs> football player, you know, I was up late and, you know, in the off season, I didn't have a job. So I would call him at any time and he would patiently just walk me through the scriptures. But he not only mentored me with a love for scripture, scripture memory, sound theology, but I saw the way he loved his wife. I saw the way he parented just deep, deep wells of wisdom. And so I believe in giving honor to those who helped you get to where you are. And so I was able that day to give him my brand new book at that time, The Good Life, uh, just to say, man, listen, your fruit are growing on my tree. Yeah, it's so good. And and I do remember uh, Alan looking at me saying, you know, he would call at like 1.30 in the morning and I have to roll over to to my wife and say, it's Derwin again. There's something good. There's something good happening in him. But like, and I was like, wow, he, you, he, he really took your calls at any time and to see the fruit, man. Self-awareness, Steve. <laughs> I'm like, it's not any time, so I'm like, oh. He works for the city of Indianapolis. He's been there for like 30-something years. and uh, But no, he's he is a good, good man. And, uh, you know, we don't, we don't have to have superstars to be mentors, just people that are faithful. Yeah. Well, what I'm really grateful is uh, you're actually helping me out with the crafting character uh, kind of year-long cohort where you're serving as a mentor uh, for 10 emerging communicators. And, and just, just spend a moment why you think that's important, why, why it's important to, as, a, as a preacher to have older mentors who are in this kind of preaching game. You know, I think it's important, number one, because it's the way of Christ. Yeah. Um, Jesus had 12 disciples that for three years, he poured his life into them. And for the church to be the church, it's important that we pour the life of Christ into each other. When I was a rookie in the NFL, there was a guy on the team by the name of Paul Butcher. He was a linebacker. He had a knot on his head. Every year he'd get a knot in the same spot. And uh, rookie year was tough. And after a practice went one day and I was down on myself, he pulled me to the side and he just began to tell me all the things that I could accomplish, all the things that I could do and watch me at practice. And 
Two years later, I ended up taking his place as a special teams captain and fulfilling those things. But it wow. took, but it, but it took a guy who had been further down the road to help me see what I could become. And I think that that's what these cohorts do is we're pouring back into the next generation what God has poured into us, but it's also prophetically saying, Hey, this is who you can be in Christ. Yes. God wants to do in you. And so it's a joyful honor for me to be able to open up my life and, and to pour into these, uh, communicators, because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we have the greatest message that has ever been proclaimed. That the shackles of sin and death have been broken by the blood of Christ. And through his resurrection, we now get to participate in the life of God as the family of God on mission with God. Love that. I love that. Well, Pastor Derwin, thank you. Thanks so much for this time, your wisdom, your life, what you and Vicky are doing uh, throughout North Carolina, South Carolina, and seriously beyond now with you know uh, YouTube and your teaching um, and your writing. Our world is better because of what Christ is doing in and through you. So keep writing, keep preaching, keep living, keep blessing people with the gift that God's given you. Um, and thanks for the example you are to me. It, uh, you mean more than you know to me. And uh, I love following along in your teachings and the way that they just push me to love Christ, want to chase after him more, and um, all the best to you. Thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it, bro. Thank you. Well, thanks again for tuning in to the Craft and Character podcast. If you heard Derwin's words and you're like, man, I, I really, really would love to learn more about joining a cohort, um, I'd, I'd love to tell you about it. Uh, feel free. Go to craftandcharacter.org. You can learn more about the cohorts. Um, we, we've got another one launching next month, and our dream is to continue to pour into uh, senior pastors, teaching pastors, and emerging voices who really want to get better at the craft of communication, but always, always, always learning the practices to ensure that their character leads the way. Hey, if you want to follow Derwin uh, on social media, it's just at Derwin L. Gray. He's worth the follow. And feel free, go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, pick up The Good Life. It's a fantastic read. If you've enjoyed this podcast, feel free, share it with a friend, go on iTunes, rate, and pass it along. It would mean the world. Thanks so much, everyone. And may you, this week, be open to what the Spirit wants to say to you. As Derwin talked about intimacy as into me, you see, I pray that this week, as you prepare to craft the message, that you will give the Spirit and Christ the space to look into your life, shape you, and form you into the person, the woman, the man, the preacher, the leader, the father, the wife, the child of God, that he so desperately longs to do in and through you. Much love, grace, and peace.